Well, we're going against the wind. The wind's 120 knots to the west. Okay, I think, dude. I am here to discuss the so-called flying saucer. With all due respect to the Air Force, I believe that some of them will prove to be of interplanetary origin. Dude, this is a fucking drone, bro. There's a whole fleet of them, look on the ASA. That's not an LNS though, is it? It's not. That is an LNS, dude. Well, if there's like look at thing. It's rotating. We have received and analyzed between 1 and 2,000 reports. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Swamp Gas Podcast, the only show that thinks that Dogman and Bigfoot should do a buddy comedy together. I'm Bruce. This is Don. How you been, buddy? What's up, man? How you been? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm good. What's new in your neck of the woods? Same old thing, man. It got cold today. Holy crap. Yeah, we got a weird little uh, flurry down here. Yeah, man, I woke up this morning, went to work, and it was like down in the teens. It was snowing. I'm like, what the hell happened? I get, wow. It was like in the 20s all day long. Like, I thought we were past all this. I know yeah. I keep saying that, but, you know, I mean, welcome to Michigan, I guess. What are you going to do? Typical. What? Absolutely. Absolutely. Man, there's been a lot of, lot of crazy things happening lately. Um, our heart goes out to, uh, the victims in the, um, in the shooting in Nashville, but amen uh, to that man, tragedy, absolute tragedy, absolute tragedy. So yeah, that's a rough one. Yeah, it is. It makes you think really makes you want to homeschool everybody, you know, makes you want to homeschool your kids. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. There's many reasons to want to homeschool these days. Oh, well, you're not wrong. If you, uh, what do you think? Um, if you could add one class to the public school education system, what, what, uh, what would you? I mean, they're lacking in many things, but what? Uh, oh, yes, what are, they are. What, If you could, if you could add one, what would it be? Oh man. Wow, that's tough. Okay, there's one one specific thing comes to mind, and it's not a class. Um, all right, fo- follow me here. You know, some countries like um, like let's say Israel that do uh, you know mandatory military service type thing. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't recommend that because I don't you know believe in mandatory service like that, right? But what if let's say in between your junior and senior year of high school, you were required to go to a, you know, two month summer camp, right? In which you're put on a balanced diet. You're made to go outdoors and do outdoor activities. You're made to push your body in ways that you didn't know you could. You're, uh, taught some basic survival techniques. You're taught some, you know, things like this. 
I, I think that would be invaluable to the the teenage psyche that we see today. I, I think that in itself would eliminate so much depression, so much um, technology addiction. So many of these problems that we have today could be 95% of them eliminated with something like that. What do wow. you think? Well, that's interesting. So almost like a boot camp, if you will, like a two month long boot almost camp. Almost like a, you know, not not a military esque boot camp, but you know what? If if you don't go to this, you don't graduate, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you're we're gonna push you. You're gonna need to do stuff that makes you uncomfortable, right? It, it's yeah, almost like a a mini boot camp. That's really interesting. I like that you uh, threw in the survivalist, you know, aspect. But uh, I, I really like that. I think right. that's a good idea. And then we're not talking about, you know, living out in the Alaskan wilderness and fighting for survival. But you know what? Here's how you uh, gather firewood and, you know, build yourself a campfire to keep you warm at night. Stuff like this, you know? Sure. Here's how sure. you filter water. You know, here's how you uh, harness the power of the sun to do different things, you know? That's really interesting. No, that's 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 solid. Yeah, man. I was just thinking like a life skills class, but no, yours is way more in depth. I like that. I think we need to just yeah, like I said, it's not exactly or... a class, you know. Sure. But like, sure. let's make like a two month long program that it, it's it's a graduation requirement. You know, you like yeah. if you don't do it, you don't graduate. Sorry. I really like that idea myself, as an, especially as an alternative to something like mandatory military service, which I don't. Yeah, I yeah, don't I don't know is. if I'd be uh, cool with mandatory military service. You know, I, I mean, I right. respect everybody it's, that it's, served, but I, you know, it's not for everybody. Oh, so. absolutely. Yeah, and um, and obviously, a huge. The countries that do do that, I think, do really well because of that, but that's just not. America, right? That's sure. Mandatory service isn't part of the American system, nor no, should it be. In my opinion. no, I agree with you. One of the things that I like is that we don't cherry pick. You know, like, well, this is working over there. Let's try to throw it in here. You know, I like to. Yeah, know, right. It's not broken. Right. Don't try to. Fix but I, it. I think something like that attached to the the high school system. I think that that would be invaluable, just for like just depression rates. Oh I my think gosh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like that, you know? No, physical but activity is really good the, for Yeah. Get outdoors, get sun on your skin, get the your face out of a computer screen or away from your phone, right? Yeah. Uh, well, today we're going to go hike up this hill 3 miles. And when we get up there, here's a sandwich, here's a bag of chips and a bottle of water, and that's what we're eating today. If you can't make it, that's fine. You're going to sit down right here and this, somebody's going to sit with you and you don't, but this is what we're eating. This is what we're doing. You're not doing anything else. This is today's activity. Sure. I think that type of just basic, very basic level of human struggle goes a long ways to repair the type of damage that we've done to, people these days sure sure 
I don't think that the damage is irreversible either. I think it can be. I think it just takes one strong oh, generation not. to change things. That's all it is. Sure. Always does. But uh, what did you without, have in mind with one class? Oh, so I mean, I was thinking like a life, like a life skills type class, very similar to. Um, I would, I would definitely include the survival, uh, you know, the survivalist aspect. I would teach uh, people how to grow their own food. I would teach people how to build their own shelters. I would want people to learn how to, and, and you know, and not just the I don't want to say primitive things, but like because these are necessary, you know, skills to have. But basic self-sufficiency. Yeah. I mean, you know, but it would be very uh, all encompassing. I would want to put, you know, like auto repair in there, you know, like how you and I met, you know what I mean? Like going, doing those auto mechanic classes, you know, like it's, you need to have, and that's one thing I always respected about that, you know, that school. So uh, I'll give you a little short story. Uh, Don and I both uh, in our separate walks of life when we were children, Uh, Both of us kind of uh, were terrible at school. So we had to go to summer school. (laughs) I mean, I don't want to sugarcoat it. We were. So we had to go to summer school. I I don't know about him, but I went to summer school from like my the summer after my eighth grade year all the way to the summer of my junior year. I didn't need to do it after I graduated. I already graduated, but I had to do it every year. I always went to summer school. That was mine, too. That was mine, too. And um, so we went to. Oh, you know what? No, I lied. That was my second year. Your first year was my second year. My first no, no, no. year I, said, I did. I said that it wasn't my first stint with summer school. Was it, was it your first stint first. at that one uh, facility, though? Oh, yeah, yeah. I had never gone there uh, before or since, actually. Oh, it, okay, okay. Yeah, the, the our high school had had uh, just like a, I don't know what you call it, uh, a training program where people went to regularly for specialty classes. Like as a, you know, like for your senior year, you could go over to this campus over here and do this, their specialty stuff, whatever they were doing. One of them happened to be automotives that, you know, we did. Oh, for sure. So, uh, so I would include that. Definitely. I would include automotive. I would include cooking. I would include growing your own food, but I would also throw in things like, um, you know, how to balance a checkbook, how to, you know, budget correctly, how to, you know, I mean, these, these really important things in life that, that we're just lacking in education. Like we're, we're making sure that everyone knows, you know, about, you know, Ponce de Leon and, you know, like the, you know, your, uh, your arithmetic and your algebra and your geometry. I don't know about you. And I'm sure a lot of you out there listening, if anyone's listening, uh, you probably use geometry or trigonometry once or twice in your life. I have never used it. You know, I'm an old man and I've never, you know, it's never been relevant in my life. You know, I actually use geometry fairly regularly, but yeah, you so know, there you go. See, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, throw in some things like uh, here's how you take care of chickens, you know, absolutely. In a, in a day and age where uh, a dozen eggs cost, you know, six bucks a dozen. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You need to learn how to you know? take care of these things. Right. It's one thing I always respected about the Amish. I don't know that I could go as deep as they go, but uh, I do respect them, you know, for sure. I got, a, I got a lot of Amish up here around me. Oh, I bet. I bet. 
Yep. When I back when I used to do the farmers markets, I would uh, I was like set up next to a couple of the uh, you know Amish families, and they were super cool, very nice people. But we had we had Amish folk down there. We did. We did. Really? I don't know where they were coming from. I, I think he had said it was like uh, down there. from like the west side of the state. They'd uh, be uh, vanned in. They'd have like one guy that's he's not Amish, but he's like their driver. So. They yeah, yeah. Pile into a van and the, the Amish know. taxis. Yeah, right, right. Essentially, just a big bus. No, bus. it's it's a thing. The Amish taxi. It's some guy with a fifteen passenger van that his entire job is to the Amish trust him, and so he yeah. drives the. They they give him a phone call from the one phone in town that they're allowed to use, kind of thing, <laughs> and they get a ride to wherever they need to go. Man, yeah. I I, I see him around here all the time. That's wild. Yeah, we we got horses and buggies driving through around here all the time. Hmm. We got a lot of Amish around here. Do you see a lot of them with the uh, blinkers on the back? Oh, yeah, they all have to. Isn't that a contradiction to what they do, though? Isn't that still technology? I mean, it's state law. Like, the police won't allow them to be on the roads otherwise. Like, they have to have the big orange triangle, and they have to have the blinkers, and... They need to meet certain bare minimums in order to take their horse and buggy down the road. Just state law. Well, that is fair. All right, folks, we're done rambling. I'm sure you guys are sitting back yeah, there let's thinking. Yeah, get to it, man. What do you I got? I thought for we were today? watching a podcast about the unexplainable, the conspiracy theories. Yeah, not the Amish. Come on, man. The things that don't here? pass the sniff test. All right. So today, the folks, test. the sniff test. So today, folks, we are going to be talking about the Amityville massacre, horror, whatever you want to call it. We've all seen the movie. Holy it's very. Shit. Yeah, I know. Right. Why not? Why not? It that's brings a big out, one, man. That, that's a it bomb is. to drop. It really is. There's a lot to there's a lot to um, there's a lot to unpack with this one. So we're going to be doing some yeah. jumping around. But uh out of this whole story that is really shrouded in controversy, whether it's all made up, whether it's just all fiction and, you know, the family that lived there after the alleged, or not the alleged murders, the murders did happen. But uh, after the murder, that's not disputed. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely not disputed. Yeah, uh, yeah. We'll get, the guy we'll get into prison. that. guy is in prison. Or is he? But um, stay tuned to find out whether or not he is still in prison. But, um, but yeah, so it's a, the one person whose account I'm really excited to share with you folks today is that of Lorraine Warren, the, uh, you know, the late Lorraine Warren, she passed away a few years back, but, um, she, her and her husband were paranormal investigators that went around the entire country. They went around to every single place that, you know, that, that, that could have possibly had paranormal activity and they did their proper investigations. They're very, they're very highly respected in the paranormal community. So, very much so, yeah. So, um, so her account, I have a small uh, snippet to play, and I'll get to that. But her account really, just really means uh, a lot to the story, in my opinion. So, bear with me, folks. And uh, I don't have my glasses right now, but uh, bear with me. Um, are we going to talk about these? 
original murders? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And that's how we set the scene. That's that's how this whole this whole thing starts. So we're gonna start right, right. there. Okay. His name. All right. Okay. This is a this is a report from the Rolling Stone in. Oh, it doesn't give me the exact year right now. I'm sorry, guys. But, uh, okay, so this is... So Ronald Defoe was the... Hang on, I'm trying to find this, guys. I'm switching between, like, four different screens. I apologize. <laughs> it's not so easy, okay. is it? No, it's definitely <laughs> not. This is my first time switching between a bunch of different screens on this big uh, additional... We're growing, guys, and we're trying to... With your help, we will grow faster and further. So, long story short, 23-year-old Ronald Defoe Jr. murdered six members of his family with a rifle while they slept in their beds at night. Amongst those killed were his parents, Ronald Sr. and Louise, along with his young brothers, Don, Allison, Mark, and John. There was no disputing whether or not he committed these murders. Okay. At first, he tried to. At first, Defoe claimed that he had found their bodies. He even went out to a bar. He was drinking that night after he had done it and just started talking to people about how he had found them. Then he called the cops on himself. This guy's not, not quite there, okay? So, at first, Defoe claimed that he had found their bodies after the murders and even blamed the mass killing on a hitman. But by the next day, he confessed his sins and admitted that it was him that had killed his entire family. The why behind his crimes. And that is the biggest question that I cannot find out why. The biggest question um, behind his crimes was never clear as the story changed over the years. At first, he said he had heard voices. Later, he said other members of his family helped him do it. Many have tried to figure out themselves. Was Defoe after his father's life insurance money? Was it simply a a greedy son trying to make some money? Did he have a psychotic break? Did his history of drug use play a role? He was an avid you know, boozer, partier, drug user. Um, not saying yeah, that that a, alone makes it. somebody a murderer. Lord knows we've had our dabbles here and there. And sure, many decades. but he was known to use heroin and LSD, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Regularly, never. Which... Don't do that, kids. Don't do that. Uh, not good, kids. Just <laughs> or say was it? no. That's right. That's right, Nancy Reagan. Or was it something supernatural and unexplainable? But it was definitely a story that stuck with people, how a man could kill his entire family like that, and how he could do it alone without any of them hearing him, getting out of bed and fighting back. Defoe was found guilty of the murders and was sentenced to 25 years in prison. Okay? So, from there, the Lutz family moves in. The house goes up for sale. Well, hold on, but but oh, I'll circle we get back into to the Lutz Ronald. family too much. Okay, all right. Oh yeah, I'm not done with Ronald. No, 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 I'm not done okay. with Ronald. Don't you worry. I'm gonna, I'm trying to do it in order, in uh, chronological order. So, the Lutz family ends up moving into the house that that uh, that these murders occurred in. Okay, during the period in which the family was living at 112 Ocean Avenue. There was a demonologist, a vampirologist named Stephen Kaplan that was called in to investigate the house. 
Kaplan and the Lutzes had a falling out after Kaplan had said that he would expose everything that they had said as a fraud. Now, let me backtrack a little bit, folks, and let me tell you a little bit about what they saw and what was happening to them, okay? So the Lutz family moved in on December 18th, 1975, okay? Much of the Defoe's family furniture was still in the house from the murder, okay? A lot of their original furniture was still in the house because it was included for an extra $400 as a part of the deal. It's really not that bad of a deal. A friend of George Lutz, I know, right? A friend of George Lutz learned about the history of the house and insisted that they had it blessed. There were six murders in the house, so he insisted that the families bring in a priest and have it blessed. Now, George Lutz, uh, George Lutz, I apologize, <clears throat> was a non-practicing Methodist and had no experience of what this would entail. Kathy, his wife, was a non-practicing Catholic and explained the process. George knew of a Catholic priest named Father Ray who agreed to carry out the house blessing. Father, oh, sorry. Father Ray uh, is also referred to as Father Mancuso for privacy reasons, okay? So Father Mancuso uh, was a lawyer judge of the Catholic court and a psychotherapist who lived at the local Sacred Heart. He arrived to perform the blessing while George and Kathy were unpacking their belongings on the afternoon of December 18th, 1975. He went into the building to carry out the rites. When he flicked... Uh, when he flicked the the first holy water and began to pray, he heard a masculine voice demand that he get out. When leaving the house, Father Mancuso did not mention this incident to either George or Kathy. On December 24th, 1975, Father Mancuso called George Lutz and advised him to stay out of the second floor room where he had heard the mysterious voice, the former bedroom of Mark and John Matthew Defoe, the children that Kathy planned to use as a sewing room. But the call was cut short by static. By static. Sorry. So while the, while the priest is on the phone warning him, do not go into this room up there. Some static comes in and cuts him off. That's kind of convenient timing. Very convenient. This is 1975. It's not like it's 1935. Phones work a lot better in 1975 than they did back then. Sure. Than we might think. <clears throat> Sorry, I lost my place. Okay. Following his visit to the house, Father Mancuso allegedly developed a high fever and blisters on his hands, similar to uh, stigmata. At first, George and Kathy experienced nothing unusual in the house, talking about their experiences subsequently. They reported that it was as if they were living in a different house. So... Interestingly enough, they're both telling each other stories about how they like their new house, but the stories are seemingly different. You know what I mean? They're 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 seemingly talking about a, a separate house, which is hmm. I think that part is really interesting. Yeah, Almost as if odd. whatever is there is, you know, changing their perception of what's actually going on. By mid January nineteen seventy five or nineteen seventy six, I apologize. After another attempt at a house blessing by George and Kathy, they experienced what would turn out to be their final night in the house. The Lutzes declined to give a full account of the events that took place on that occasion, describing them as too frightening. 
After getting in touch with Father Mancuso, the Lutzes decided to take some belongings to Kathy's mother's house to uh, in, a, in a nearby deer park. Or in nearby deer park, not in a deer park. Sorry. <laughs> it wasn't a park of deer? Yeah. Her parents were not uh, were not <laughs> a deer. I almost said animal. <laughs> the town of Deer Park. Deer Park, New York. <laughs> if anyone's in, New-, in uh, New York, you guys can make fun of us as much as you want. Until they had sorted out the problems of the house, they claimed the phenomenon followed them there. The final scene of the Anson's book, the book that was written about their experiences in the Amityville house, they described a greenish black slime that was coming up the staircase towards them. Whew. I just watched Flubber today with my daughter, too. Sounds like Flubber. Flubber. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> Coming up the staircase towards them. On January 14th, 1976, George and Kathy Lutz, with their three children and their dog Harry, left 112 Ocean Avenue, leaving all their possessions behind. The next day, a mover arrived to remove the possessions sent um, to send the Lutzes. He reported no paranormal phenomenon while inside the house. So, a couple things that... Are, that is left out on this website that I recall from seeing interviews um, or reading interviews rather with, uh, you know, the children of the Lutz family that were living in the house that uh, they experienced a lot. Like there was one area of the house that was constantly attracted to uh, like with, with uh, bugs, like infested with bugs, no matter what they would do, they get these black flies that would be like yeah, uh, swarms of flies, right? Swarms of them all over just this one room, like one corner, one area of the room. And they couldn't figure out why there was. Um, oh, gosh. They said no matter what they uh, no matter what they tried to do. Now, this is what I read in here. This wasn't one of the kids accounts. No matter what they tried to do to uh, heat the house, it was always freezing cold. They could not heat that house no matter what they tried to do. Which is really they, saying he something. That, he had to keep that wood stove going constantly. Constantly. And apparently right. it didn't make much of a difference. Right. So yeah, that's a really interesting. Absolutely. The common theme you see in uh, you know haunted locations, cold spots and just cold drafts and things like that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's what they say. So there's been a lot of disputes over the accuracy of what's happened. Um, a lot of people are probably screaming at the radio, like they're a bunch of frauds. They're lying. Now you could say that. And you know, they have made money off of selling their story. There has been no other incidents of people living, you know, in that house. Cause that house is still standing. The address has changed. It's no longer one twelve ocean Avenue. Uh, they were tired of having people, you know, driving by the house. Uh, they they yeah, said they've, sure. they've updated the house and no longer looks anything like it used to, but no one has reported anything that's happened since. Now, this was a really interesting story that I wanted to circle back to about this. Uh, with whatever happened to Ronald Defoe, the guy that killed these people, he said he got sentenced to prison. What happened to this lunatic? Okay. He's still in prison, is he? Let's see. So this is the uh, this is the Rolling Stone article that I started to read before, but I realized it would have been a huge spoiler. So okay, Ronald Defoe, the convicted murderer who killed six family members and inspired the ever-growing Amityville horror franchise, died Friday, March twelfth. The New York Times reports he was sixty-nine. 
Defoe died in a hospital in Albany. 19, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, it doesn't say. does not say. While I'm reading right, this, what, what you year? want to look that up while I'm reading this? Let's say, what year was this article published? Never mind. You keep going. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'm going to keep going. You, you uh, will tag team this. Okay, so uh, Defoe died in a hospital in Albany, New York. The New York State Department Correctional Facilities uh, confirmed. He had been serving a sentence of 25 years to life at the Sullivan Correctional Facility in Fallsburg, New York, and had been taken to the hospital on February uh, February 2nd. Cause of death has not yet been announced, but will be return, uh, determined by the Albany County Coroner. In 1974... Go ahead. Uh, he died March 12, 2021. Oh, wow. Recently. Two years ago, buddy. Holy cow. Almost, Does it say how he crap, died? Almost to the day. Almost to the day. Wow. Two years and one week ago. Mm-mm-mm. It is. It, 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 I know we're dating our episode, right? But it, as That's of okay. recording today, right now, it is March 29th Mm-mm-mm. of 2023. Does it, does it say how he died? over two years ago. Uh, let me see here. I'm sure I can find it here. All right. Well, while you're looking for that, I'm going to keep reading. All right. So uh, it, it says here, uh, official cause of death has not been released to the public. Still. Wow. Isn't that something? Interesting. I mean, I'm just looking at Wikipedia here. So, you know, take that as you will. So I'm going to read, I'm going to let you guys get to know Ronald Defoe just a little bit. The guy that inspired all of this with his heinous, heinous, horrible crime. So Defoe was born into a generally well-to-do and religious family, working well with his father uh, at a car dealership in Brooklyn. Defoe's relationship with his father, however, was reportedly strained and the younger Defoe all had a reputation for using drugs, drinking, and fighting. Following the murders, Defoe reportedly went to a bar near his house and proclaimed that his parents had been shot, while he also reported the deaths to the police himself. So after his confession, Defoe's six-week trial focused mainly uh, on why he carried out the murders. With Defoe's court-appointed lawyer, this is a really interesting part, folks. With Defoe's court-appointed lawyer, William Weber, mounting an insanity defense. In 1992, however, Defoe claimed Weber had pursued the insanity defense against his wishes, and he'd done so to potentially drum up interest in books and film deals. That's what Defoe claimed his lawyer did in 1992. He is okay. quoted saying, William Weber gave me no choice. This is what Defoe had told the Times. He told me I had to do this. He told me there would be a lot of money from book rights and a movie, I would, and that he would have me out in a couple of years, and I would come into all this money. The whole thing was a con, except for the crime. That's what William Defoe said. But you know, we take things as they are. Okay, so it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't William Defoe, buddy. Was not no relation to Will to Willem Willem Defoe, not William Willem Defoe. But uh, no relation to Willem Dafoe. But anyways, so here is the only opinion that I care about in this whole investigation. Because did the Lutz family make it up? Maybe. Is this whole thing nonsense trying to make money? Did William Weber really 
just trying to mount this insanity plea because he had a buddy at Paramount or whatever studio that was going to make this picture and he was going to get a book deal. Maybe. But there's two people that would not have wasted their time, their energy, and their reputation by saying what they said without there being something to back it up. So before the Lutzes moved out, they called in paranormal investigators. I'm sorry, it might have been after they uh, moved out, but irrelevant. Either it was while they were there or shortly after there. They were only there for 28 days. Ed and Lorraine Warren, famed paranormal investigators, came in. They took a lot of pictures. They did their EMF readings. They did their their due diligence and how they do their thing. The only physical now, evidence. Go ahead. What's that? Uh, now, to be fair, at this time when Ed and Lorraine, Ed and Lorraine Warren were brought in, they weren't famed uh, demonologists and um, paranormal investigators at the time. They had a, a handful of cases under their belt, but they weren't widely renowned for like, mm. this is what made them widely renowned. Correct? Fair enough. Oh, I appreciate that interjection. You uh, no, I appreciate that. You probably know a little bit more about uh, them than I do, but uh, I'm a fan. So they uh, yeah, snapped definitely some... a fan, but as yeah. I understand it, this is the case that really made their names worthwhile is their involvement in this case in particular. And obviously many others later on, but this is their big one that really put them on the map as far as, you know, paranormal circles go. Absolutely. No, absolutely. I would love to do an entire, uh, honestly, like an entire episode just on, you know, Ed and Lorraine Warren. Yeah. And honestly, honestly that could be a two or three parter in itself, you know, because <laughs> there's there's a lot Snapping to unpack there. The, uh, there's a lot. They, they did a lot of cases. They've been involved with a lot of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of them that I I really want to dig deeper into the um, to the Annabelle one. That's a really interesting story. The movie doesn't do it justice. Yeah. It does. It takes its own turn with it. When the real story is fascinating, the real story is creepy enough on its mm. own. They could have kept it the real story, and it would have been creepy. But um, yeah, the the doll itself is very non creepy. Yeah, and that's it's what makes it worse. Raggedy Ann doll, you no, know. That's what makes <laughs> it worse. So when I was, I'll share a little rabbit trail story. So when I was like in high school, I, I uh, did some acting with this uh, this like independent film company. It was basically like just a small group of people, and we'd shoot these like guerrilla style movies. We just show up and shoot a couple scenes until we got kicked out, right? He'd compile them, but we'd just make a whole bunch of crappy movies. But, um, and he did this one I'll never forget that was like, it was just a crappy one. We were in high school. He just set up the camera and like did different still, still frame shots. But he made a teddy bear with the murderer, gave him like a little knife and just still frame shot him the whole way up. And it was, he did it a good job, set the mood, the music and everything. And like, you, you believe that teddy bear was about to murder you and then look super innocent afterwards. So it's like that Mark Wahlberg movie. Yeah, but way before well, then, and it wasn't, Ed, this was, yeah, but this was back in, she's, I'm going to really date myself here, so thank you. This was back in, like, you know, maybe 1999, 2000, you know, like. All right, old timer. I, this was a long time ago. <laughs> this was a long time ago. <laughs> so, yeah, but, um, but anyways, anyways. Turn of the century so, stuff. 
That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. We had a recorder on a VHS uh, recorder, but no, no. But um, yeah, that's right. Get your eight tracks out, kids. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so when Ed and Lorraine Warren were on site and they were taking their pictures, the only thing, and we're gonna we're gonna have this picture up on our site uh, for you guys, but uh, they got one picture that appeared to be one of the boys that was murdered. One of the Defoe children that were murdered. That was a, a, that was kind of peering from behind a door. That was the only physical evidence that they had. Um, but I'm going to uh, see if this works. I'm going to play a clip for you folks. Okay. We're going to, um, I'm going to show you instead of just trying to terribly read it to you. I'm going to show you what, um, what Lorraine Warren actually had to say in 2005 about her exact experience. All right. So let's see what she has to say. We went there that day and I took a relic, a Padre Pio mm -hmm. in the house with me, a relic that came in the mail that day, that very day it came in the mail and I asked him to help me with discernment. I didn't know that house was demonic. Mm -hmm. I didn't know anything about it. I couldn't speculate that right. the house was haunted in any way, way shape or form. That just that we were called to investigate why one family were all murdered, another family moved in and fled. So Channel 5 News said, you know, the viewers have a right to know what happened. That's why we went to the house. So what do you think really actually took place in the house? Do you have any opinions evil. on what? Evil. It's the personification of evil. How evil can personify itself. How it can be attracted in certain situations. So uh, so when Lorraine was uh, talking about it being just pure evil, there's there's no other way to describe it. And her account of it has to has to mean something. You know what I mean? She's not going to throw those words out, whether she was a famed, you know, demonologist and paranormal investigator beforehand or afterwards. It's, um, you know, she's still putting her reputation on the line now in, you know, or in you know, almost 20 years ago at this point, 2000 was until up a couple of years ago when she died. Yes. Yeah. So what do you think? Do you think it was, uh, do you think she did it or she did it? Jeez. Do you think that, um, it was all made up. Do you think that it was, uh, what do you think? As far as the Lutz family is concerned, I don't yeah. know, man. Um, it's hard to say. Um, there are a lot of extraordinary claims that they're, uh, they're making here. I mean, it, this isn't a typical, you know, ghost sighting. I saw an apparition that peeked around a door and then it was gone type stuff. They were talking about, black ooze running down the stairs and coming out of the walls. And there yeah. was, um, I, I think this one actually got debunked as a cat, but something about one of the daughters regularly saw this red eyed pig outside of her window type mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. I think that actually got later debunked as the neighbor's cat because it literally had the same name or something mm -hmm. like that. I don't have all these details at hand, but yeah, things like that. Um, but one of the most fascinating parts of this story is actually about the original murders themselves. Now, Ron Jr. was supposed to have 
shot all six members of his family with um, this, I believe it was a 35 caliber rifle. And yet every single member of his family was shot lying face down in bed. Hmm. So he shot his father, his mother, three of his brothers, and his sister without one of them ever getting out of bed. They were all in their beds. They were all shot in their beds. They were all laying face down in their beds when they were shot. As far as we know, none of them were drugged. Uh, that's another thing about Ron Jr. He He's changed his story a dozen times since he's been in prison. Um, and he gave one account in which he gave them all a bunch of barbiturates, which would, you know, explain why none of them woke up. Except none of that was found in, in their bodies at the time. Uh, he gave another account where he planned it all with his sister Dawn. But, you know, there's no way to substantiate that either. So, I mean, he's given half a, he's changed his story a dozen times. So you yeah. can't take any one of them as credible. That's true. Um, there were never any drugs found in their system. How is it that not one member of the family woke up and at least made it out into the hallway before they were killed? They were all killed in their beds. We were talking, if we're talking about one guy doing the killings here, he didn't shoot them all at the exact same moment. Right. Right. In all these different rooms of the house. So how does that happen? None of the neighbors heard any of the gunshots. We're not talking about a quiet. There was no, there's no silencers. There's no, there's no way to explain the fact that you didn't hear this rifle from a half a mile away, let alone across the street. Right. Yeah. This wasn't a farmhouse in the middle of nowhere. This was a, a house in a neighborhood. No, we're talking about Long Island. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's. So yeah. nobody ever heard any gunshots. None of the family members woke up out of their bed. There's something very strange about that. There is. One of those, one of those questions we'll probably never have an answer to, but that's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up. One thing that I did right. want to add to the story that the that gives a little bit more credibility to the Lutz family is that All right, so right here I have it right here. I'll just read directly. So it says <clears throat> George Lutz maintains that the events in the book were as he quotes mostly true. I'm sure there were some exaggerations here and there. They were trying to sell a book. In June 1979, you said they—they, I'm sorry, Uh, you—you said that the Lutz families made a made money off of this story over the years, yeah? Yeah, it's reported that they made around three hundred thousand off of, uh, like in total, off of their, uh, you know, the story. Okay, I mean, grand scheme of things, that's that's not a lot of money over the course of, you know, sure. what, 50 years, almost 50 years at this point. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I so mean, this in, is... in 19, let's say in 1980, yeah, that's a lot of money. I mean, it's not a lot of money today for, you know, going through all that. But sure, I would, I would think if they were doing this as a money-making venture... 
right? We're gonna we're gonna become millionaires off of their faking this ghost story. They would have made more than you know three hundred thousand dollars off of a story that's become this big. We're talking about the Amityville that's horror. A- There's been what seventeen different movies made off of this fucking story. <laughs> No, that's you know, a really good point, dude. That's a really good point. This story really has been beaten to death in every which way you can imagine. Everything from, yeah, I mean, shit, wasn't Ryan Reynolds in one of these movies? I think he was. I think he was. That was like the uh, the more recent one. I think Josh Brolin was right, in the so, old one. So consider that Ryan, Ryan Reynolds has made more money off of the Amityville story than the people who, you know, endured it, supposedly. Yeah. <laughs> Something that's to take into consideration. A, that's got to be a, a punch in the stomach. So, um, hang on. In June 1979, George and Kathy Lutz took a polygraph test relating to their experiences at the house. The polygraph tests were performed by Chris Gugas, it's the last name for you, and Michael Rice, who at the time were reportedly among the top five polygraph experts in America. The results, in Rice's opinion, did not indicate lying. It's a very interesting, uh, I don't know, it's an interesting point to add that they were able to pass a polygraph test. Interesting. Now, polygraph tests aren't admissible in court for a reason. That's true. But when you're talking about uh, the one of the top five polygraph uh, uh, administers in the country... You know, it's something to take into account. Absolutely. It it doesn't mean nothing. No, no, it definitely doesn't mean nothing. But yeah, that's a, it's a fascinating, uh, it's a fascinating story. I'm curious, folks. What do you think? Do you think it was a hoax? Do you think it was a horror? Yeah. Let us know in the comments, guys. What's happening here? These, uh, what happened with, um, uh, Ron Defoe? Was he uh, was he just a heroin addict, or was he possessed by the devil? Because yeah, all right. Here's I, we didn't talk about this at all. One of uh, Ron's original stories, not you know, like I said, he changed his story over and over and over again. But early on, he was saying that he was regularly seeing this black mass in the house that was always telling him, "Do it." Do it. Kill them. Kill them all. Kill them all. Type thing. Was this some sort of a... uh, Was he possessed by a demon? Was he just a heroin addict who, uh, you know, lost his mind? Um, He was... It's also said that he was abused by his father, right? And he also may have had uh, traumatic brain injuries. So was that causing hallucinations? Was this causing his, um, you know, violent outbursts? There's lots of different possibilities, lots of different roads to go down here. Yeah. And then you bring in the Luntz family, and that's a whole nother aspect. If if the case is that Ron was just, just had a, you know, traumatic brain injury and was abused by his father and just snapped one day and murdered his family, then that kind of, at least in a large extent, throws out the claims from the Luntz family, right? That there's all this, 
crazy paranormal demonic activity going on because it was, it was really just a guy that had a broken brain. But if it wasn't a guy that had a broken brain, if there was something darker going on here, then there's something more. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. So let us know in the comments, folks. What do you think? What was going yeah. on? And also, folks, I'm always curious. I know Don is as well. I'm always curious to know what paranormal experiences you have had. Let us know in the comments. And, you know, like one of these days, like Don had said, we might have you on the show. If, it's, if you've got a, a story good enough to, um, you know, to make it onto the show, we'd love to have you. So, yeah, folks, yeah, let, so us, let know us know in the folks. comments. We're good at this, dude. <laughs> We're professional podcasters. <laughs> yeah, let us know. Let us know how much you hate us. Let us know how much we got the story wrong. And uh, let us know how you would do it better. Yeah, definitely. Um you know what? Let us know about Ed and Lorraine Warren. What do you think about them? We'll uh, we'll get into them in a later episode because I I do want to do a deep dive into into them and um uh their credibility the their credibility with the Catholic Church, right? Yeah. Um. Uh, the many many different cases that they were brought in on. Um, they're, they're well known in the paranormal world. They are, they are the OGs as it were they when are. it comes to especially demonic activity. Absolutely. So we'll, we'll get into that in a later episode, but let us know what you think. I want to hear about it. Absolutely. Uh, so what do you think, buddy? What's going on with the Luntz family? What, what do you think's happening in that house? Oh, I honestly think that they absolutely experienced something horribly demonic. There was um there's a lot of things that like you you had mentioned a few things that have been like debunked over the years and there's a lot of holes that are poked in things, but you know when something happens that's completely unexplainable, it's easy to poke holes in it and call it, you know, swamp gas or call it whatever you want to call it. But it, you know, it, it's swamp it's, gas, swamp gas, but I mean, it could be anything, you know, that that's what, that's what people, um, that's what people who don't want to believe that, you know, paranormal things exist. will try to explain it away in any way possible. There was this one Absolutely. room, there was this one room that was in like the, uh, the bottom of the basement. There was like this, it was all red. It's one small room that, uh, they had reported that it was uh, held for like like uh, this Native American um, tribe. I forget what it, what it, what tribe it was. Um, I'm not even going to try to remember because I'll probably insult someone and butcher it. But um, <laughs> <laughs> seriously, no, I'd, hey, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to do that. But um, it uh, they ended up saying like they had a spokesman from them saying that like no that never happened there that's not a thing but they said but the claim was that native americans would they, that lived in that area was that was where they would uh leave their mentally ill leave their sick leave their uh people in that area sure but you know there's a lot of things that are unexplainable you can't explain why 
you know, these apparitions would afford, would form or people would see things. And there's a report of, um, uh, you know, Ed, 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 I'm sorry, Ed Lutz, or no, I'm sorry, not Ed Lutz. I'm sorry. I, I was confusing the two where, um, George Lutz was, uh, he'd wake up every single day or morning at 3.15 a.m., which is the exact time of the murders. And he said one time when he woke up at 3.15 in the morning, he saw his wife levitating in bed. So like, there was a lot of unexplainable things that was just happening all the fucking time. Yeah, I remember that one. Yep. So. Yeah, yeah that was I don't a know. wild bit of the story. I really think it did happen to them. That, that's what I think. I think that it happened to them the way that they the way that they said it. You know, like you said, it's they didn't make a ton of money off this thing. You know, it's not like they went on to star in the movie themselves and you know be directors and you know, it's just a right. somebody that had a crazy thing happen to them and they told enough people and somebody went on and wrote books and made movies and they made a lot of money off of their story, but you know, the Lutzes didn't. Yeah, I'd like to do a deeper dive and see um, what they said, you know, in their initial reports way back then and how they may or may not differ from, you know, 10 years later. Maybe some things got embellished, you know, uh, some things were uh, tossed a little flair on it to, you know, help bring in those dollars. But that doesn't mean that the initial claims were anything but genuine. Sure. Um, and you know what, folks? I mean, stick always, around. That's always a possibility. If you folks stick around and you're a Patreon member, in the bonus episode tonight, we are going to do a little bit of a deep dive into the later stories of the Lutz family to see if their stories have changed at all. So if you, uh, if you are a Patreon member, um, this will be a nice treat for you. And if you're not, this will be a reason to be one. Uh, even better, because this is all news to me. Like I said, I did not do a deep dive on Amityville. This is this is your show, buddy. Oh man! So We're I'm gonna... looking forward to hearing about that. That's why it's so choppy and crappy. <laughs> hey, it's not easy uh, being on that end, is it? <laughs> it's not easy being green, man. Oh man. Well, um, all right. So I mean, but before we wrap up here. We get we we got a few more we got a little bit to kill here, um, so yeah I do think that I mean obviously the murders happen that's that's not yeah even that's in not dispute. yeah yeah um what caused Ron to commit these murders I mean that's really anybody's guess was it you know a demonic entity or was it you know just he was a broken guy I mean that's anybody's guess it's hard to tell. Given the reports from the Luntz family, assuming that they didn't make the whole thing up, that obviously leads credibility to the fact that Ron himself was under some sort of demonic possession. What makes me question that is there hasn't been any reports of anything in this house since, has there? No. No. Not a thing since. So it's almost like after the Luntz family... Now, now, maybe there wasn't and never got reported. It didn't get the publicity. That's all possible, too, I suppose. But we don't know of anything else that's ever happened, which, I mean, take that as you will. If this is something, I know I harp on you all the time, Bruce, that because, you know, everything's a demon. 
<laughs> this is very demonic, you know? It's not that I don't think demons are a thing. I think they absolutely are. And that everything about this case screams demonic activity. Yeah, 100%. So I'm with you on this one. This yeah. this is very demonic. There's something darker happening here than just the ghost of uh, Harvey that we talked yeah. about last <laughs> week. You know, yeah, right. Who just likes to poke people and stare at girls in bikinis. You know, right. peek around the bushes at the pool. The, there's something darker and more evil going on here than something that simple. Hmm. So I don't know. It's it's interesting. It's definitely it interesting. It really is. And it, as for all of the cases that we've talked about thus far, this is the one that I can point to and say, that seems demonic to me. This yeah. seems like demonic activity. I mean, there's really no other way to describe it. No other way to explain it. It seems absolutely demonic. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you on this one. What do you think, folks? I can point to a demon in this case. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Hollywood never really gets it right, but, you know, the original story might be better than than fiction or stranger than fiction. Oh, it usually is. It usually is. Oh, that's so, I so mean, true. if, I mean, I don't know how uh, in depth you are in demonology in the first place. Is there anything you can point to specifically that you think this might be as far as de- demons go, other than just demon in general? Right. No, you know, I, I don't know that I could even call, like, if you're asking if I could call out, like, a specific demon in this, which I don't think you are. I mean, I definitely couldn't. But, um, you know, why they would do it or, you know, like, what would be the purpose, you know? I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you. You know, it, it, we don't know what Ron, uh, D- Ronald Defoe Jr. was into. I mean, we know that he was a heavy drug user. We know he dabbled in psychedelics. You know, we know he was a heroin user plus a psychedelic user. You know, I mean, there's, there was a lot of things that could have made him lose his mind. You know? Um, right. You know, in the bonus episode, yeah. we'll uh, we'll get into a little bit more about the effects of LSD um, that's something that our, our, our paid listeners will get to, we'll get to hear some stories on that. But, um, I will say it can definitely, you know, I, I think you could definitely open up some spiritual doors by, um, you know, by weakening that spiritual wall that separates us from, from them. And when we're, uh, when we do things to open up our minds and see things that we aren't necessarily supposed to see, might not always be, you know, a good thing. It might not always be the 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 glowing sunshine and rainbows. It might be something darker on the other side, especially if you're somebody that already has a dark intent. If you're somebody that's already got brain damage or somebody that's already got, you know, hatred in his heart towards his family or his dad or whatever, you know, starts taking that kind of stuff as well as heroin, which is a major like depressant downer. You know what I mean? You take the two of those together you know, that spiritual wall could have been weakened to the point that he was easily possessed, you know? All right, so that, that's an interesting thought you bring up. Um, especially things like uh, 
LSD, which um, as opening a spiritual doorway, do you think that his it's possible that his drug use invited in this demonic activity that sure. caused him to murder his entire family? Sure. No, I'm I mean, not saying think, everyone that... that... I guess you think that that's the likely scenario here. I th- I don't know that it's the likely scenario, but I think that it's an explainable scenario. You know what I mean? I don't know that any of this okay. is like, you know, like, yeah, it's likely that he, you know what I mean? Like, I think this is all just off the wall and bonkers stuff. Yeah, but, we're obviously outside the realm of science here. Right, you know? right. But, you know, if you've done LSD, if you've done these kind of things before and you're already, uh, you know, somebody that's, a, you know, a dark hearted person, man, like you make yourself an easy vessel. And, you know, if these demons were able to levitate, you know, Mrs. Lutz in the middle of the night and do these crazy things, who's to say that that demon or whatever was helping him that night wasn't able to flip his people over while he was, you know, making these shots or, you know, there we we can't say we can't look at the story of what happened to the Lutz and say like look at all the power that these demons have and then look at the exact same house with the Defoe family and think that he had to have done it all on his own. It makes me wonder about the Lutz family. What what tied them in to be susceptible to this? It's like I I I understand what made Ron Jr. Butch mm-hmm susceptible to this with his drug use and his uh like he uh he had um he had money problems he was he actually staged a robbery at his family's uh car dealership you know to get himself some money to feed his drug habit type thing like Hmm. this is a guy wrapped up in all kinds of problems right and people that are wrapped up in all kinds of problems are you know more susceptible to this type of activity Supposedly, right? Sure. What was it about the Lutz family that made them susceptible to this ongoing activity? That's such a good question, dude. The only thing that I can think of is that they moved in so quickly after the like, whatever was there was settled into the house. You know, we don't know how, how long was it. What that they moved in after the murders. Yeah. Do we know that? You know what? Let me look that up, buddy. I'm not 100% sure. So November of 1974 is when when Ronald Defoe killed. Okay? Okay. December uh, 1975 is when the Lutz moved in. So 13 months later. Just over a year. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Not very long. You know, I mean, it would it would stand to uh, reason that whatever entities or, you know, entity or entities were in that building yeah. would have not, still not been exactly there. exactly two weeks later, but not 10 years down the road either. So. Right. But in, and it was empty the whole time. <clears throat> you know, nobody else was right. living there. Nothing else was happening there. Still had their furniture in there, you know, from the murders. 400 bucks for the furniture. Now, what were they thinking keeping that furniture Right. But you got to think, was I, it, they probably didn't keep the beds. 
I don't know. Did they? <laughs> I don't know. But I, don't I mean, know if they did or didn't. That's that's super dark. But, if maybe that's why they got punished, just because they kept right. the beds. You know, <laughs> like right. You're gonna sleep on the bed where the entire family was murdered. You know. Yeah. No, I'm good on that. I mean, but, several um, beds. You know. Right. 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 Yeah. Oh my god. But remember, the Lutzes did have a lot of like priests. Right. No, a hundred percent. The um the Lutzes did have, you know, a couple different priests come in and try to bless the house. So it's very yeah, possible that one of them burns on his hands mm-hmm. for trying to bless the house. Sure did. Sure did. I um, I'd, I'd like to I'd like to read a little bit more about that priest and his account. Ah, uh, Father Mancuso. We'll be getting into him more yes, on the yeah. uh the bonus episode as well. Because they're actually, you know, oh, we'll good. can talk yeah, about him right now. Not a whole lot. We can talk about him right now if you want. He doesn't have a whole lot. Yeah, here's a, the discrepancies. Uh, give me a couple minutes. So the role of Father uh, Mancuso in the book and the story has been given considerable attention during the course of the lawsuit surrounding the case in the late 1970s. Father Mancuso stated in an, in an affidavit that his only contact with the Lutzes concerning the matter had been over telephone. The other accounts say that Father Mancuso did visit the house, but experienced nothing unusual there. In 1979, Father Mancuso, appearing in silhouette, described his experience while blessing the Amityville house during an interview for the television show In Search Of. In the interview, Father Mancuso makes it clear that he did, in fact, enter the home and that he was slapped by an invisible force and told to get out by a disembodied voice. Right. So, you know... Now, his real name is not Mancuso, right? That, no, it is not. That is a pseudonym. Right. Yeah, real name I, is Father Pecoria. Pecoraro. 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 I don't know. Yeah, that helps. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> not at all. I, I I would definitely like to um, you know, hear more about his account. I, I feel like he could be a major linchpin on uh in this story well for sure but as as you can see what i just read he's not given a lot of interviews the only interview he gave he had yeah. to appear through silhouette yeah so and, and, and then, i really <clears throat> i wonder why that is so now, an interesting okay, we, thing i want to add given, is when he's giving this account at the time uh you're talking about a period in time in which the the Catholic Church doesn't talk about exorcisms. They don't, you know, they don't talk about demonology. They don't do any of this stuff. The Catholic Church in the last, I don't know, 10 years or so has actually opened up about that stuff a whole lot more than they ever have in the past. Oh, for sure. No, there's so there's priests that will go online if, talking about it. Yeah, so I would wonder if maybe now, I don't even know if this guy's still around. Right. But, um if he was, or, you know, maybe he has written accounts somewhere that might be accessible some way, but you know, you, you're probably going to need to get into the Vatican archives for that one. So good luck yeah, with right. that. Mm-hmm. But I would be, I would be really interested to uh, read about his account or hear, you know, interviews from him talking candidly about it. So an interesting point that I would like to add before we close uh, this part is, <clears throat> okay, so William Weber, or Weber, I don't know, it's W-E-B-E-R, it could be Weber, I don't know, but um, 
So in nine, in May of 1977, George and Kathy Lutz filed a lawsuit against William Weber, Weber. And he remembered he was the defense lawyer for Ronald Defoe. Paul Hoffman, who is a writer uh, working on the accounts and the hauntings, Bernard uh, Burton and Frederick Mars, who were both alleged clairvoyants who had examined the house, along with Good Housekeeping magazine and the New York Sunday News and the Hearst Corporation. The Lutzes allegedly misappropriated the names for trade purposes, invasion of privacy, and mental uh, distress. The claims against the news corporations were dropped, and the remainder of the lawsuit was heard by Brooklyn U.S. District Court Judge. Yeah, I don't say the judge's name. But uh, in uh, September 1979, the judge dismissed the Lutz's claims. In September seven, uh, in the September 17, 1979 issue of People Magazine, William Weber wrote, quote, I know this book is a hoax. We created this horror story over many bottles of wine, end quote. He was referring to a meeting that Weber uh, is said to have had taken place with George and Kathy Lutz, during which they discussed what would later become the outline of the book. The judge also expressed concern about the conduct of William Weber and Bernard Burton relating to the affair, stating, this is a quote from the judge, there is very serious ethical question when lawyers become literary agents. There absolutely is. That is interesting. Yeah. Wait, wait, hold on. What were, it was the Lutz family that was suing? Yeah, that sued William Weber. On what charges, though? The Lutzes alleged, alleged misappropriation of names for trade purposes and invasion of privacy and mental distress. So, so they were alleging that everyone was using their names. Lawyer yeah. was profiting off of their name. Yeah, essentially. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, given that information, I'd like to do a deeper dive onto them and. Um, who made what money from where, you know, yeah. uh, my conspiracy mind wants to go to, okay, maybe the Catholic church paid off this lawyer to uh, say that it was all a hoax so that this all gets swept under the rug. Now yeah. I literally just pulled all of that out of my asshole and I have nothing to substantiate that, but that's where my head jumps to. So, 100%. like I said, that that's something worth investigating. I'm yeah. not going to make those kinds of claims. I, I, I don't make baseless claims. I look for information. So I would like to go find that information. That would be interesting. Very, very, very interesting. It's good stuff, man. I like it. This is a fun I like one. it. Anyway, Anything folks, you want to add? I got nothing, man. I'm looking forward to getting to the, what you got for me in the bonus. Oh, absolutely, buddy. I, I want to hear more about fun. this shit. No, we got some more to Hell dive yeah. into. So, folks, smash that like button. Subscribe. Leave a comment. Review. You can watch us on YouTube, Rumble, Spotify. Don't just follow us on one. Follow us on all of them. That's Make right. sure you always get the episode and you get it 17 different times. You want to listen to 
you're not big on watching, you just want to listen to us, find us anywhere you can find a podcast, man. CastBox, iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, uh, you name it, we're there. We're on all of them. If we're not, if we're not there, let me know. I'll make sure we get there. That's right. Easy as that. Uh, you want to hear the rest of this episode, all this other crazy bullshit we're going to get, get into? Slide on over to Patreon. Sign up for the price of a coffee. You can get all of our bonus content, everything we've made thus far, everything we're going to make from now on, all for the price of a coffee, folks. Come sign up. Show us some support. Show us some love. That way, you know, one of these days we'll be able to quit our day jobs and actually do these kind of deep dives. We can find some of these priests and have them on and talk to them. We, we'll be able to get Graham Hancock on and talk to him about some ancient cultures and shit. We'll be able to talk to uh, all of these uh, people that we want to interview. Jordan Peterson. I'm not quite sure how Jordan Peter Peterson fits into the conspiracy world, but I'd oh, love he to doesn't. talk to Jordan Peterson. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't, but uh, I just want to talk to him. No. I'd, I'd love to talk to Jordan Peterson for a whole lot of reasons that don't involve paranormal shit. That don't have anything to do with Bigfoot. Yeah, I know. I get that. <laughs> right. Right. But hey, maybe we'll be able to interview Ron Moorhead one That's of these right. days. You Who know? knows? Jordan Peterson might have very strong opinions on the Loch Ness Monster. I don't know. I, I bet he does, and probably none that we want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. Uh, I, I don't think he's going to buy either one of our bullshit. <laughs> that's cool. Oh, that's that's cool. I still want to talk to him. I, I know, me hear too. From him. Hey, you know what? Oh, you know who else I want to hear from? Who's that? You at home. I want to hear from you. Leave those comments, reviews. You got a, you got an awesome story that you can't explain or maybe can't explain. Let me know. Give us the story. We might even have you on. We'll talk all about it, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. We would love to have you on. We would love to meet the people that are actually listening. Because there's a few of you that are actually listening, and we love you. Thank you. Yeah, there, there's more than a couple at this point. We love you guys. Thank you. We love all love of you. It. From all of us here in the Swamp Gas, all of us here inside the Swamp Gas, we love you and love each other. We'll see you next time. Have a great week, guys.